Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Surgery Podcast. My name is Nikki Clinch, and I am your host. Today, we have another amazing episode for the Surrender Series, where you get to hear a real human story of transformation. I believe that hearing human stories are some of the most powerful ways to create shifts in awareness and shifts in consciousness and perception within our own minds. Because when we hear ourselves in other people's lives and other people's journeys and other people's processes, well, one, it makes it real and it makes it human and we can relate it back into our own behavior and our own way of seeing the world in our own lives. And two, it brings us together. It doesn't matter how great the status of authority or leadership or how much money we have in the bank or or how big our houses are or where we live or or how many numbers you have on social media beneath the differences which there are many we are all human and we are all the same um we deal with the same human condition and therefore the process of maturation that is invited for each of us is the same so today's episode is with the amazing coach, leadership coach, transformation coach, and just really wise and smart and powerful being Nathaniel Solis. I love where Nathaniel speaks from. Uh, you can tell that he really understands the nature of reality, the nature of transformation. And what he says, I believe, is worth listening to. But he's not here on this podcast to talk about his skills or to talk about his credentials or what he's achieved in life. He's here to talk about his human story um, and his own commitment and dedication to his own maturation. And that is the part that I find the most interesting. So I hope that you find this episode helpful. I hope it gives you what you really need today. And if you love this episode, please do leave us a review. Your reviews really, really matter. They help this podcast spread further and wider. And if you love the podcast, please do subscribe. We love having you here in the community. Um, and I believe in the power of this work and I want it to reach as many people as it can. So enough from me. Over to this week's episode with Nathaniel Solis. Hey, Nathaniel, how are you? Thank you for coming on the Soul Surgery Podcast. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm so great. I'm so, we uh, we were we back and forth quite a bit to finally get here and I'm glad it's happening. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I always um, find it interesting in the particular interviews where there's this kind of back and forthness that happens, whether it's tech issues or whether it's schedule issues. And I, I always get a sense that actually those are the ones where I know that the conversation is really going to be quite important and needed. And I, I don't know you, and, but yet I have this sense that I wanted to sit with you and have a conversation with you. I just... I just could tell that where you were speaking from and what I mean by that is the space in which you speak from was I wanted to sit and dive into dialogue with you. So thank you for That's saying so cool. yes to my invitation. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for living that way. You know, that's such a, um, 
I would actually say that a, a, a big portion of my life over the last 10 years has been the result of that exact same kind of nudge. Like, Ooh, I like how this person feels or how it feels when they, when they're clearly like excited about something or passionate about something. And then just having the courage to just be like, yo, just to reach out like, yo, you feel really awesome. And I don't even know why. Let's find out what that's about, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, just to touch on that first, I think that's actually a really potent and important thing to bring to the light here is listening to where someone is speaking from rather than just what they're saying you know, the, the quality or the consciousness or the space in which the, the communication is coming from rather than just the content. And I think, you know, most of us, you know, in the humanity, we focus so much on what is, what is being said and what is being done and, and without the real listening of where someone is coming from. Um, and that's something that I find very interesting. I like to listen deeper than just the content because it's always so so obvious as well when and kind of awkward when you can someone might have a lot of content and you almost can't even tell where it's coming from or you can tell that it's coming from like oh they're just doing what they think they need to be doing or how you're supposed to communicate or share or, or do something from that space and that really stands out Right. So I think it's a good practice for us. Yes. Also pay attention. Like, so what's the other option? How does that feel? How do we practice that? Absolutely. So before we dive any further, set the scene for me. Where are you? And like, where are you you living? And and tell me where you are right now in your life. Ah, well, I'm right here, which is awesome. (laughs) And I love it here. (laughs) Um, I just made a post the other day that w- said, uh, you know, the whole phrase, like, follow your heart. And it's like, well, where's your heart? Your heart's right here. You don't yeah. have to go anywhere, right? <laughs> so I've just been in that practice a lot lately and, and just really appreciating that. I've lived in Austin, Texas for the last year now, which has been lovely. I grew up in California. And I'm in a season of life that is just so expansive and... Mm-hmm. So purposeful, which is interesting to say because the last, you know, I've been running my own online business, coaching, making courses and content and retreats, doing all this stuff for over a decade now. So I've been very purposeful Mm -hmm. for a long time. And, you know, just with all the crazy events of the last year and a half, you know, which have been really, really challenging for a lot of people. It's also been a huge catalyst for a lot of people. And I chose to take the catalyst route and, um, I feel like I'm in this this sort of season right now where not only do I finally understand the blueprints of like what has been wanting to come through and what's wanting to get built, but a lot of it is actually built and a lot of it is like budding or maybe having like its first fruiting season. And, you know, if that metaphor makes sense and, you know, uh, totally in love with my partner. Uh, We just had our two year anniversary. Well, it was a little, it was a while ago, actually. Gosh, time flies. It's almost two and a half <laughs> years <laughs> now, really. Nice. Um, and yeah, and, and just being a curious observer. I feel like um, a big part of my role is just paying attention and, yeah. and kind of aggregating and distilling things and, and creating a refined way for us to deal with and handle everything that life's throwing at us right now. So I also feel like every day 
especially over the last few months has been me kind of sitting at this dashboard, so to speak, in this spaceship that's moving through, you know, the current, uh, uh, movement of, of all this stuff. I don't even know what words to put onto it, right? It's such a crazy making sort of setup, but I feel yes. really grateful to have, there's something so stable in me and not, I'm not trying to show off, but just something I've realized, just something that stayed so stable in me that allows me to deal with a lot of moving pieces. And um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for the fruit that that's going to be turning into soon as well, which is ideally being able to provide some more solace, <laughs> no pun intended, yes. um, <laughs> with everything that's going on. And, um, mm. so I'm loving it feeling very, very in my power, very connected to everything in ways that I haven't mm-hmm. maybe in my, in my life at all at, mm-hmm. up until this point. And thanks for, thanks for the the question. It's a good, good space to just kind of like get back into that. I don't know if I said anything too coherent, but just enjoying where I'm at, feeling very on fire with it. Mm, And also feeling that like everything's just getting started all at the same time too, which is a fun feeling. Well, you said a lot of things that are coherent um, and I'm going to touch, I would like to touch on a few of them. Um, But, you know, the first thing you said is, you know, you've been purposeful for so long, but really in the last year, with everything going on in the world um, and on our planet, it just absolutely took a whole nother level of, of purpose. And I really identify with that. You know, I think so many of us identify with that who have been in, who've been mission led soul and mission led in our work that with the absolute sort of destruction and dismantling of, of the way that we've known our world and the matrix that we've been in, there's been this absolute invitation to step up and, and serve. And I, when I mean serve, I don't mean, I mean, serve something greater, something bigger, something else that is unknown. Um, so I really hear that. And, you know, it's quite a commitment, isn't it? Because there is so much madness and there is so much challenge and to it's really in these moments and you you may identify with this that all the work that I've done on myself and I can hear that you've done a lot too that we really really this is where it really gets tested it's like how much can we really find the stillness at the center of the cyclone how much can we really stay centered when when everything is going into chaos that it makes me think of every single plant medicine ceremony I've ever done or it makes me think of every sort of dark night of the soul I've ever been through it's like how much can you stay in a space of listening groundedness presence when everything is just going so that we don't get caught up in the noise and can be available for something else um and that's what I hear when, when you're speaking and you describe where you are. And I, I really identify with that. Um, you know, I heard recently, you know, there's so much going on and it is such a huge collective experience that it's no longer sufficient for each of us to be working individually and on our own there. Now it's about a time to kind of, to connect the points of light in the world, like a network 
um, and that each of us steps up and 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 comes out of hiding and really takes that takes the invitation and 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 does our work and and somehow we do it together and I when I hear you speak it it it, it validates that feeling that I've been getting and it, it's a comforting it's comforting to hear good. <laughs> Yeah, and there's one other thing I wanted to to point out that you you spoke you spoke about the the un, the what was it that you said it was like the opening of the seed or something. Um, yeah, like um, the first the first uh, uh, fruit, and, you know, the the blossoming. That's it, and and you know, my work is 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 called maturation, which is really a process of 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 growing. It's a process of nature um, and unfurling. Um, and I love that you, you know, chose that word, by the way. Yeah, that takes courage, because that's like that's what everyone's wishes they could just speak to directly, but off. But we gotta sometimes call it, you know, a bunch of cool spiritual sounding whatever's when it's like, no, you're just maturing, you know, like you're actually. Yes. <laughs> so I just, I yeah. just love. You're literally the only person I've seen use yep. that word for your work so just thank you i bet it triggers people in a way they don't quite even notice or do notice and i think that's just super super awesome that you own that thank you it, it took balls at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> it took balls at the beginning because literally nobody knew what it meant um and i I, you know, I'd be interviewed for, by the press and particularly when the book was coming out and people would literally ask me, can I change your title because no one will know what this means? And I would say, no, let's educate them. Mm -hmm. Let's use it and then educate. Um, because really, it, it, if you're human, then this relates to you. We're all in a process of growing. Uh, we're either stuck or we're growing. Um, and But it is... It is nature, it's human nature that we yeah. we will eventually find a way to grow, whether it happens now or whether it happens in, in another lifetime. Stuck is a method of growth, right? Every time Absolutely. I've ever been stuck, it was literally me growing once I realized yeah. that it was, you know, once I was mature, once I was in a mature enough place to receive that wisdom from it. So I love the, yes. the mature part because, is interesting because oh. it, it becomes this like the, the baseline, right? If you're at a certain level of maturity, you're going to be getting these different kind of um, or more accurate perceptions and interpretations of what you're trying to process and move through in your life instead of ultimately taking an immature <laughs> filter to let everything, yep. you know, sift through first. Yes. And, and, and what I, most of the people that I work with, what they find so hard to, to accept at the beginning is that part of that maturing process is actually to be in the wrestling match with your own self is actually to be in that struggle, the, the resistance, the stuckness that actually by being in the experience of that, it changes us. It, it has an invitation in that. And, you know, we look at that individually in our own lives, but we, you know, you can see it collectively as well, the fight and the resistance and the chaos that actually that is, like you said, that is a part, it's an, it's a fundamental part of the process that we can't outgrow something until we have experienced it, fully experienced it. Otherwise we're just in another form of resistance. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to replace it or fix it or avoid it somehow that, you know, the growing part is 
is by experiencing all the the wrestling and the struggling and the stuckness of the human condition. Yeah. So yeah, the, we're on the same page with that one. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, this is called the Surrender Series. Um, and the reason why I came up with this concept was I just wanted to hear human stories, different human stories, and people who had roles of leadership about points of surrender in their life. And I just find it so fascinating and inspiring to hear the the process in which someone goes through in those points of surrender um, and hearing also the similarities when you've, when I've sat with enough people that there is a, there is a, a kind of a continuous connection in how, how maturation occurs inside each person. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to ask you is what does surrender mean to you when I say that word to you? <clears throat> A lot <laughs> means a lot. It's a very special word to me. And I, I love having, I love trying to have a very different answer. I do a lot of podcasts and interviews and stuff. And sometimes they just come really naturally. So this might seem a little weird at first, but surrender is the default from one perspective. Mm-hmm. Like nothing's guaranteed. Life is inherently uncertain, yep. right? It's, sure, it seems like the sun's going to keep doing what the sun does, but I don't even know how that works in the first place. That, that's an automatic, mm-hmm. I'm automatically surrendered to that. I don't know how mm-hmm. to grow my own hair. I don't know how to digest my own food. I don't know how to heal my own cuts. Something has got that absolutely handled, and I'm in absolute surrender to that. So mm-hmm. to me, surrender is almost like a like a uh like a verb for god in a sense mm-hmm. like it's a way to genuinely be the 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 mechanism of that type of force that type of mm-hmm. energy because it's mm-hmm. it's the default right you look at things and mm-hmm. you look at things in nature you look at a forest and like oh this this tree's growing too big over here and it's got to fall over and everything it falls over on just like there's the default is just to surrender to that experience. There's no, there's zero resistance there. Sure. Some animals will will scurry away or whatever. That's great. That's their path. And, um, they, they're also not running away with a story about the tree and why it shouldn't have done that and any of that kind of stuff. They're just on to the next thing. So yes. I think surrender is is where it's at, <laughs> to put it simply. That is my favorite answer to that question that I've heard yet, because it is absolutely the closest thing to what I also feel is surrender. And, you know, really why I wrote the book and called it what I did is, you know, out of all of the or out of all of the animals in the animal kingdom, we're the only animal that has this self-reflecting mind. You know, a tree, a cat isn't worried about being late today or, you know, um, the tree or the bird isn't worried about, uh, I don't know, putting on weight. You know, Mm -hmm. we, what is it that stops us or blocks us from being able to really be present with the unknowing and the magic and the absolute curiosity of the fact that our skin can heal itself and the fact that our hair will just grow and that really in every single present moment, 
we really don't know what will be unfolding next. The thing that blocks us from that magic of that is the mind, is mm-hmm. the stories. And like you yeah. said, that if the tree falls in the forest, it's not worried about what it's going to land on. Uh, it will just fall. Yeah. It's in the present. It's 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 being. We and, create our and own so, need you for know, surrender. Like we're the yes. instigator of we, well, we re- we resist it. The nature of the human condition and the nature of how the stories and the mind works is that we live in a state of resistance of the fact that actually surrender, the aliveness of surrender is always already there, but we miss it. Mm-hmm. We miss it because yeah. we're so stuck in this thinking process within our own selves. So thank you for presencing that because that was such a beautiful, that was a beautiful way to answer that question. I really appreciate that. So Absolutely. when I ask yeah. you that then, what would what would be the biggest point of surrender in your life that comes to mind when I yeah. present that to you? There's a lot. Having mm-hmm. a, a biggest is very interesting. The biggest I was I was assuming you were gonna ask me this question. So so I've been thinking about it a little bit. And what first came to mind was the first moment of it that I can remember, which was pretty significant, which was once I was able to comprehend that I was adopted. Because with that came a lot of other interesting thoughts like, okay, so where am I, where's my actual family? Why, you know, why did they give me away? How does all this work? You know, I had a, I was raised in a house with an older brother and an older sister who were also adopted. And mm-hmm. I was the youngest and it was very traumatic for me. It was a very, I was the automatic kind of black sheep, which happens actually after you adopt too many kids. There's some, stu- some studies on that. And mm-hmm. I think I was maybe in like first grade when I had enough like mm-hmm. of this sort of social feedback and all my, I didn't know anyone else who was adopted and all my friends kind of, you know they kind of look like their parents and they look like their brother and sister and just enough of it finally clicked where I was like, Whoa, this is really uncomfortable. And I may never get any sort of closure or insight or understanding of this. Um, Mm. And from that early of an age, um, I was already connected to this notion of like, wow, life is my life provides unsolvable mysteries. And yeah. this, and I hate that, right? I was just so uh, upset about it. It was so confronting. Like, wow, some uh, something really unstable got kind of created in me in those early years through that experience. Mm. And mm. just a very short time later, my mother passed away from chemotherapy, who the one mm. who adopted me, and I was adopted at birth. So she was, you know, my my mom of you know. Um, rightfully so all the way. And that was just the next layer and just another perfect little like, Oh, so I don't get a mom either. Okay. So I got to surrender to that. And I wasn't raised with any sort of religion or anything. So I didn't have anything, you know, there was the general notion of, Oh, she's an angel now or something. Right. But, but nothing grounded. And my dad didn't even believe that either. So I didn't have anything to kind of grab onto. So that was a huge another huge point of surrender um, and realizing like, wow, I get, this is the rest of my life. This is a permanent 
experience. This is absolutely permanent. And those are some of the biggest mm-hmm. things we have to surrender to, you know, you know, it's everyone can like, that's what, that's a, where this too shall pass doesn't apply, which is a really mm-hmm. powerful tool for surrendering to something that will pass. Right. So that yeah. was, a, that was a little bit of a different one for me. And I, and I could keep going. You want me to keep going? There's a few other that I kind of stack well, around that. Moment. I do want you to keep, I do want you to keep going, but I want to, I just want to ask a few questions around that. Cause Please. the way that you're speaking about it and the kind of inquiry that you were in about, it sounds, you know, pretty advanced. What, were you, were you thinking that way when these experiences yeah. happened? Were you questioning in that way? Wow. Well, yeah. I That's mean, quite something. I definitely would have loved to know where my mom went. That was like the first yeah. thing. Like, I remember literally saying out loud, like, what do you mean I'm never going to see her again? Like, that yeah. doesn't make sense. So she she, she yes. went somewhere and now I don't see her. So where is she? And there was, I didn't have an yeah. answer for that. Yes. Yeah. And, and I th- what and you I think went even, through. Oh, go ahead. Go on. As you say, even, even, um, it must've been maybe, maybe kindergarten or first grade, like the adoption thing. My, my sister's full blood Korean. My brother's got blonde hair and blue eyes, right? Wow. My mom was like a short curly haired Jewish lady. My dad's like a Viking with a red beard and, you know, like just a, just this whole awesome, you know, uh, uh, mixing pot of a family. So, so I always had a few extra things to think about than all my other friends. Mm-hmm. And I always noticed that when I was a kid. Right. Like I, I, sometimes I'd think about, oh, mm-hmm. my sister has parents, too, that she's never going to meet. Like, who are they? Why, why did they do that? And there's just like my my radar was just a little further out and considering. And also, I, I remember that at that age, every time I ever met a, a kid or saw a kid, I was like, oh, I wonder if they have real parents or not. I wonder if they're adopted or not. Yeah. So it was just these extra little. And then also, I wonder if they have some other thing, like after my mom passed, too. Oh, I wonder if they have a parent who passed or if they've, if they've experienced one of these kind of like bonus life experiences, as you could put it, you know, <laughs> not necessarily yes. bonuses we like, but you know, these kind of, everyone's walking around with some version of their, their unique little formula of right. The things that have happened yep. to them and around them. So it had me thinking about that when I was like seven or eight years old. And, um, and I, yes. now I, I mean, got a weird brain as being a result. exposed <laughs> to those kinds of experiences well, being exposed to those kinds of experiences so young is, you know, already you are you are being invited. I'm sure it was extremely uncomfortable and very painful to go through a, a, a process of destabilization, meaning, you know, it immediately challenges the cultural and societal agreements, uh, mutual agreements that is just kind of planted on us or that we that we inherit. You know, when I look at my son, my son is turning three next week. Uh, he likes to watch Peppa Pig and already he comes and he sits at the dinner table and he'll be like, right, okay, family of four, there's a dad, there's a mom, there's a sister and there's a brother. And he'll be like, you know, my daughter's um, Pepper and he's George and I'm the mom. And I can see his mind is already thinking, this is what family is. Mm-hmm. This is what it looks like. This is the picture. This is the agreement. And, you know, that happens unconsciously all millions and billions of ways as we are, as our brain is developing and we're growing up. And, and for you, 
you were faced with these huge life lessons very young and and already put through a phase of destabilization that your identity didn't or the the question of your identity and who are you and where do you fit didn't look like anything else that or, mm-hmm. or anything else that you that you could see and even the fact that you were faced with losing your mother so young that again it 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 challenges this whole just agreement that is absorbed that this mm-hmm. is the way life is this is the yeah. way it should be so i'm sure that that brought on a whole set of real challenges for you uh, as well as an inquiry process how did you react to that you know experientially and in yourself you know it didn't i don't think it really registered emotional like it didn't i don't think i really felt it until i was almost 18 mm. it it I don't think it, it, ah, there's just something about the way it landed then that was just so different. And it, and it actually was a result of this class that I was in. It was like a white Tantra thing that I did with a partner of mine. And they had us sitting across from each other. And then they had you, had you embody the person you are um, angry at like someone you have hatred for or mad at and to say, and then the other person is you. And then you say to yourself what you wish that Mm -hmm. would have said. And just right Mm -hmm. out of my mouth, I said, I'm sorry I died. And that's when it, when I realized the, what the feeling I was holding was I was mad at my mom. Like a, how dare you? Right? Like I could have had a mom this whole time. What the heck? And I forget, I love moms. It's so special. It's like literally the most, you know, and of course, and I've, of course I got plenty of mama trauma jokes to back it up, but it's like, it, it gave me this deep appreciation for that, for that role. And how literally it's what makes the world go round. And yeah. it was, that was a lot for me to process then. Thankfully my partner at the time was um, much more mature than me, <laughs> which was awesome. And, and she was able mm-hmm. to hold space for that really well, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but, but, when I was just a, when I was just a kid, there was something as well about the lack of maturity of from my dad that was easy to model. You know, I've ne- I've seen my dad cry one tear in his whole life, and that was actually when my brother died. So that's a that's another a whole other piece to the pie. But when I was a kid, there was just no, there was no real reference point. I didn't really. I, I actually specifically remember synchronistically. I wasn't home the night that my mom passed for the last about year of her life, she stayed at home with like the, the IV drip and everything. Like they basically made a little hospital room at the house and we had some family friends in town and I loved swimming in pools when I was a little kid and they were staying at a hotel. So I was like, Oh, I want to stay at the hotel so I can swim in the pool all day. And the night I stayed there was the Mm -hmm. night she passed away. So I actually synchronistically was very blessed to not be there that night because my dad told me she just fell asleep and didn't wake up. And then once I was old enough, I learned her morphine ran out and she was addicted to morphine for the last few months of her life. And it was a, I'm very glad that I wasn't there to put simply. But when I came home the next day, they were um, basically wheeling out her bed. 
in it, but just kind of, we, there was like an ambulance there and they were taking all this supplies back. And I, my first thought was like, Oh, is mom's going back to the hospital. And, and then I found out what actually happened and everyone was just kind of sitting in the backyard. My brother and sister were crying. They were probably like 12 and 15 or something like that, a little bit older than me. So mm-hmm. they could kind of understand it a little more deeply. And I just yeah. remember being just, it, I didn't cry when I first heard it. I just, it did. I couldn't get it. I just didn't get mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And thankfully what I think allowed me to be somewhat of a functional kid moving forward into my life, even though I had my fair share of, you know, I was total, I was a totally great kid, totally fine, but still just this black sheep thing. And, and actually after my mom died, I took on this sort of like, not only am I adopted and got kind of skimped on that. Right. Cause it's like, what the heck? I didn't get to decide. And then I don't have a mom either. I had this story that was like, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was dealt a bad hand. Therefore I can do whatever I want because I deserve yeah. that. That's fair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I still kind of yeah. feel, I still kind of agree. I think that, you know, for, as far as a, yeah. a survival mechanism goes for an eight year old, you know, it's like, great homework. Yeah. Pff, I don't have to do homework. My mom died. Like you don't, under, yeah. you, you don't understand, have your mom die and then try to do some homework. Right. Yeah. And that was, that was interesting for me and also gave me this really early life taste of a sense of independence and autonomy and yeah. this kind of looking out for myself and which, you know, from one, from the shadow side of that is, you know, later in life I had to realize how much effort I had to put back into not being a lone wolf or, you know, being able to really let people in, in that sense. But I'm also yes. grateful that it gave me this I think I learned the art of a type of meditation or contemplation at such a young age as well. Cause I'd spent so much time with myself feeling like people didn't, couldn't really understand me. I also walked everywhere. Yeah. I had so much time to walk, walk to school, walk home to school, walk to my friends. And then eventually it's a scooter or a bike, but just so much time to be with my own thinking. And a lot of that time was spent just in those same, that same sort of it's like I became a, a philosophy initiate at a young age, right? Like, what is death? How does all that work, yes. right? Like, did did my mom deserve that? Is yeah. that how that works? Do I deserve this? Is there some plan? Is Does it all make yeah. sense somewhere? And just to add to the, yeah. the chaos and the healing, um, the night that my mom, I can't remember if it was the night. It feels like it was that night, but it was with that night or within a matter of days, we had this really full on, um, thunderstorm. So it was raining and lightning and, and we're just kind of hanging out in the backyard, kind of watching the lightning strike. Right. And then you count until you hear the thunder to see how far away it is and all that. Mm -hmm. And this lightning strikes the closest I've ever been to lightning strike. And if you've ever been really close to lightning strike, it is mind blowing, right? That's like the holes, everything electrifies and it's pure white for like a millisecond. And you like feel the electricity. And as soon as that lightning struck, I felt my mom kiss me on my cheek. And I knew it was my mom. Like I just knew. And I I, remember I was I was like standing next to my dad. I was like, holy crap, dad, mom just kissed me on my cheek. And he gave me kind of like a bah humbug sort of thing. He, does, he didn't really, wasn't willing to play there, but I just felt that and I knew it. And that night I had my first lucid dream. Yeah. And that changed everything for me. Yeah. So from the age of eight 
to now, and I'm 31 now, um, I have more memories of lucid dreams than I do of waking life. And I've lived basically, I'm basically 62 <laughs> at this point um, because I get 24 hours worth of awareness uh, sometimes when, you know, normally it's just 12 or whatever. Yeah. But that was this huge initiation for me because, again, it just added to that philosophy. Like, what the heck? Is, what is that? What's happening when I go to sleep? What is that? I'm I'm in all these other places. I'm in made up planets. I'm meeting people that don't exist. I'm meeting people that do exist. I'm meeting clones of myself. I'm meeting, right? Like just everything. And I started getting really good yeah. at it. I could wake myself up. I could fly. I could, I, I, I loved jumping off of tall things just to wake myself up before I hit the ground or, or start to manifest stuff or, you know, materialize things. And at the exact same time, that also initiated me into my subconscious and my unconscious, which is a whole other talk yeah. about surrender because in dreams, there's no rules, right? That little thing you're feeling could turn into literally the whole world being on fire and the planets crumbling apart and you're floating off in mm -hmm. outer space and you have to surrender and you can't breathe and you have to surrender to that. I have died in yeah. millions of ways at this point. So literally even just the other night mm -hmm. I had a dream that where I, uh, I drowned, which was very interesting. And the moment someone had the chance to pull me out. So as soon as I fell under, I instantly just surrendered to great. They're either pulling me out or I'm dead. All good. They're just going to pull me out or I'm dead. And I was so calm. I was super calm. And it was actually, I woke up mm. super refreshed. I was like, that's so weird. I was literally just drowning like five seconds ago. I just woke wow. up and I feel very relaxed. Um, but that's been talk about surrender, man. I've been eaten alive by sharks and felt the whole thing. Oh. I've been shot yeah. in every part of my body. I've been, tasered in every part of my body um so i didn't even it's funny like i for i i almost forgot that all that is true and now that i'm saying I'm like talk about surrender like holy crap like my whole half of my life has been mostly that <laughs> yes so thank you well, for I, kind of bringing that back to me oh my god i have so many questions that i want to ask you i'm trying i have to try and catch them because that this is so good okay so you know what i hear Firstly, everyone I've ever spoken to that meets death younger, early, you know, most people can live most of their life without ever really meeting death um, and therefore not having a relationship with death, which of course completely um, dictates your relationship with life. If, if you don't have a relationship with death, it impacts your relationship with life. And everyone I've ever spoken to that has met death young, uh, I have clients who've met very young as babies. I actually met it in the womb. Um, and you're speaking of meeting it very young too with your mother. And is, is that there's this experience where very young, you start to experience the multidimensional levels of reality and and you start to there's this kind of ability to be able to stand in both worlds i've seen it so many times now that without consciously knowing it at the time but when you're when you're kind of when you're faced in with the experience of that crossing over that it opens up 
all these other dimensions and and so that makes so much sense of then this this whole experience with other levels of consciousness and being able to journey and travel in your dreams and you know that just became part of your world now most people will have mm -hmm. those experiences and they'll think they're mad or they'll think there's something wrong with them or that will set up a whole series of strategic patterns and behaviors to try and hide it or block it or drink on it or take drugs on it or or mm -hmm. many things i tried that too <laughs> yeah just suppress it because it's yeah. it's such a it's such a it, it challenges so much of what we're ed educated about what is life that we don't know how to be with it we just don't know how to be with it. What I see though, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that that then that has actually also become part of your gift in the world um, yeah, and your expression in the world. Then the other two things that I hear, which I think is really interesting, is that um, you know when when you're when you're faced with the experiences that you've had very young, just for the nature of how the mind works and how story works you know, then you're, you're left with this identity or this kind of cloak that you're different or you don't fit mm -hmm. or you're the odd one out. Has that been something that you have had to work with? Um, yeah, work with throughout your life, this, this kind of identity of being different. Yes. And not in like a I was always friends with everybody. Like I, like I was cool with all the different cliques in high school, like all the different groups were cool with me. I think it actually, in a sense, because I remember even when I was, again, very young with the adoption piece going, well, if the people I live with aren't technically my family, sure, some piece of paper says they are, but that means every other human being I will ever see is just as much my family as they are. Yeah. And so it actually gave me this, deeper connection from one perspective or sure i i i acknowledge but it, it, yeah never necessarily turn into like oh i'm so different people don't understand me and and i can't connect with them it actually was this i'm so curious about people i wonder if anyone else has had a bunch of crazy shit happen to them like it has to me and it made me more curious about people more interested in them um which I'm very, very grateful for. Cause yeah, that could have gone really sour the other, you know, the other mm -hmm. direction. I think I, I made it more of a, like that being dealt that bad hand ultimately was like a me feeling unsure about myself, right? Like, well, if mm -hmm. I'm the kid who clearly this is the hand I'm dealt, like this is the karmic thing I've been offered. What's going on with me? Like, why am I, why do I have to have all this terrible stuff happen to me? Maybe there's something wrong with me. And that kind of stayed just inside here. <laughs> Thankfully, yes. it didn't quite, I didn't turn that into me having a bunch of kerfuffles with everyone around me, but definitely one inside of me for quite some time until I, you know, was able to integrate that. So then there's two other questions I want to ask you, you know, when you lose someone that, so, I mean, your mother is, the most pivotal relationship that you have in your world it's the, mm -hmm. your original relationship with intimacy um all our relationships with intimacy mirror our original relationship with intimacy is the one with mother and so when you lose mother that you know that's going to challenge so much about your ability your relationship to trust um and also control so have 
how how has your relationship been with control in your life uh, since then? I love it. I'll put, I'll start with that. <laughs> I love, I love, yeah. I love certainty. I love certainty. Um, I love control. I've actually integrated a sort of, um, I had a, I had a, a partner a few years ago, helped me realize I had some kind of like, like OCD type of things. Like even just, you know, if, if the stuff isn't arranged on the desk a certain way and I can't, yeah control that I would just something felt uncomfortable so I just didn't even know until she was like oh did you know that you every time we go out to dinner you like put all the stuff on the table in a certain way and then you kind of relax like oh that's so fascinating yeah if there's anything wrong with that at scale that could become unnecessary suffering um, and agitation or you know discomfort so I'm really grateful that I've been able to work on that I definitely I found a connection at one point as well with my um, I became a, a food and a health junkie when I was probably 16 or 17, which was me just wanting to not get cancer like my mom, right. And trying to control or, or in a sense, trying to heal her cancer by eating what I think she should have eaten. Absolutely. And that caught up with me a couple of years later. I'm very grateful for, and I'm still a health junkie, but I also, there's no tension involved, <laughs> which is nice. Yes. And yeah, I, c- control's interesting. It's definitely, and I've also had to move through like most people who want to change the world, right? Releasing the fact that that's impossible in a sense. Like it's not, at least the way we frame it to the way our ego thinks it's going to happen. Like, so releasing that control entirely. And especially, mm-hmm. thank God I did that a few years ago because, man, the last year and a half would just be crazy if I thought I actually had to wake everybody up, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, big big fan of control. <laughs> you know, I, I think I found a healthy integration of that with the notion of self-mastery because yes. I see mastery as a practice and a devotional yes. practice. And mm-hmm. I, see de- I, call, I define devotion as a commitment that's steeped in love. So if you got love in there, there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of compassion. Um, it's a much more winnable game than just yep. trying to be perfect or trying to do things right. And instead yep. keeping that sort of that sort of curiosity and that fascination with the human experience that I've always had and applying that to myself so I can still choose to kind of yep. control my life. Um, you know, I run a, a program for men and we just wrapped up our, our a dopamine detox week, which is a week of complete control. Right. Where you're not no coffee, no cannabis, no alcohol, nor no masturbation, no pornography, no nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is something that from a healthy way, I think humans need to get in touch with, especially because of the way the world, you know, works right now to just completely ignore that and turn us into these gluttonous, consumeristic, totally numbed out zombies. Right. Um, So I'd say for this, for the sake of, what we deserve and what's possible for us. There's a really healthy way to connect with, I guess you could use the word control, but there might be another, you know, self-mastery might be a, a better word for that. Yes. But I'm, mm-hmm. there's a really good chance, even the self-mastery thing is ultimately butted from this deep little like, oh my gosh, my life is crazy. Like this person's dead, this person's dead, this abusive relationship, this going on here. Like I need to, I totally need to control this. 
that would just make me be a lot happier. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I'm hearing, <laughs> well, what I what I'm hearing, and what I want the listeners to be able to hear, and what I'm kind of trying to shape here is, is how much your your childhood experiences will then shape the creation and the building um, and the birthing of the character that becomes yep. Nathaniel. Yep. That and that's not individual; that's universal. That is just the nature yep. of how human beings. Um, function work is that when we have these big experiences, or not even just big experiences of threat um, in our childhoods, then that we go into that's how the character starts building in in a form of survival to it. Mm-hmm. That of course, yeah. if you lose the fun, the most fundamental relationship to anybody is your mother, um, and then you face death in that way, and you just couldn't change it or control it. Um, of course, that's then going to shape the choices and the um, behaviors and the patterns and the things that you're led to mm-hmm. that yeah. become who you who's who you think Nathaniel was or is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I want everyone to hear this. This is how the character. This is how, this is how the me gets formed, mm-hmm. and we think that's who we are. Um, and and of course, you've gone further than that, but most will think that that's it. That's, you know, I have to eat this way and I have to drink this way and I have to say these things and I have to have things in Mm -hmm. a certain order. Well, underneath fundamentally is just this experience of absolute powerlessness, which is the ultimate powerlessness. Um, And everything else is a form of resistance to being with that powerlessness. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, and then when you speak about the self-mastery, you know, I, I hear what's interesting is when you speak about what you just did with the men, I don't hear that as control. I hear that as surrender. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. The drinking and the consumption and the scrolling and the masturbation, all of that is, is, is actually a form of resistance to being with the human experience, to being, mm-hmm. to being. Yeah. They're yeah, all well ways said. to try and get us away from being. Yeah. I think and, for for, the, for a lot of the guys, who this stuff is new to, it feels like such a willpower type of thing, which is almost the opposite of surrender. Uh, You can kind of will yourself to surrender in a sense, but even that's just kind of being heady about it. But I love how you, how you put that because it's true. It's, it's to just be with what is, is the, you know, the doorway of surrender maybe. Yes. And, um, and I also think that there's, yeah, we completely are made of our childhood experiences. And sometimes it's a, important to realize there's an there's a, a, a oppositional effect as well, where you might, you might be, you, might, you know, a lot of women in their 30s, right? They go, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother. Or you might realize, oh my gosh, I'm the anti-mother, right? Like I'm becoming everything mm-hmm. my, that we, right? So it can kind of go both ways. So sometimes people get confused. Like, oh, wait a minute. The great childhood. What do you, and it's like, well, maybe you, you know, are going against that in a certain way, but then also realizing that there's an, there has to be, and from my perspective, but there is a, there's a asset to each of them. Right. So it's like my willingness to, to, to look at the control and realize it as a skill set. Like my hypervigilance for my traumatic childhood has made me an incredible coach. Yes. Because it's really, really easy for me to just like, oh, 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 wait, how are they? Oh, what are they feeling right now? What? Oh, look at the body language. That. How, oh, their room looks kind of messy on the call. Like, I wonder what that's about. And just 
so easy to observe and notice, or it could have turned me into this absolutely, you know, psychotic, uh, uh, anxious, you know, just, I could have just run my life into the ground with that. So for, so also for everyone listening to know that there, the, the sort of the, the mechanism of what's playing out is an asset. And then the theme or like the story that the mechanism is kind of steeped in is what will kind of lead to that either quote unquote positive or negative sort of attribute in your life or, or be, you know, kind of pattern in your life. Yes. And absolutely. And what you're speaking about, what you just spoke about is the distinction between being unconscious over what, how your past is living you and creating you and choosing your choices and having consciousness over it. And this is, this is the important thing. As long as we are human, we will have a story. If we're trying to escape having a story, well, then we're, we're, we're resisting the fact that we're human, Mm -hmm. that real freedom is to be human and to be able to be with the story, but not have it live us. And what you're speaking of is that when we gain consciousness over the story and the character and the ways of being and the ways of the, 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 all the things that let, that have led us and driven us through our lives. And when we can get consciousness over it, then we get to have the power, the self mastery over working with it rather Mm -hmm. than it living us unconsciously. And that is the distinction between being in survival and, and being in life Mm -hmm. living that we actually well get said. and this is what i this is what i want everybody if i could tell everyone the secret <laughs> if you knew how powerful you were you're already generating your entire reality but you'll do it's it's unconscious now mm-hmm. what happens when we get consciousness yeah that we actually have the ability to to be able to use the very things that have been creating destruction in our lives uh, and use it with power and mm-hmm. choice and presence yeah. That the very things that have caused pain in your life are now what what cause healing, connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Power, just just after a couple of years of the most uncomfortable work of your life, but hey, it totally it gets you there. It works. But that's that's maturation. That yeah. that's it. It's that and again, this is what I find so beautiful is that everything that we have lived through gets to be an opportunity for us to be able to use it mm-hmm. purposefully. That's, how, that's my, my, so my body of work is called integrative leadership. And I define integration as utilization of wholeness. Yeah. So I love, you literally just said, you know, it's like, we have to use it. We, yeah. we give it a purpose, right? That's one of the, the, it already has a purpose, right? But we just want, we just like to live in the story that it's like, no, that's just this bad thing that wasn't supposed to happen or, or whatever it might be. And that's just a completely unwinnable game. Right. And mm-hmm. a lot of people can enjoy. I remember really enjoying the idea of oneness before I had an experience of it. And mm-hmm. those are night and day completely mm-hmm. different things. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are getting excited about shadow work, right. And ancestral healing and trauma healing and all these different things. And Mm -hmm. it's so important to, to be willing to, to pay attention to that distinction between like, am I actually 
engaged into something and utilizing this. Am I, it's one thing to, it's one thing to uh, uh, accept an experience. It's another thing to be stoked about it. Like, whoa, yeah. that was some gnarly stuff that happened to me. I'm so mm-hmm. excited to find out how that has made me into something that I, I can't even comprehend yet. Right. Yes. And that's a, it's a complete, and again, easier said than, than done. And, and some people might spend the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years still coming to terms with this stuff. There's no time frame. There's no rules to how that's yeah. supposed to work. And I'm, and I'm also not some perfectly healed being either. And I do think that there is a lot more integration available to us. And it's, a, and it's, yeah. it's a, quite a simple thing mechanically, just not easy because yeah. it's so uncomfortable which always got, has gotten me really curious about, great, so like, how do we get better at being uncomfortable? If that's the whole point, if that's it, like if all healing is yeah. on the other side of me getting uncomfortable somewhere, can I just yeah. get better at getting uncomfortable? And that's mm-hmm. been a huge, and which requires surrender. Yes. Right? Like there's, Absolutely. there's you don't, um, I don't know if, if you're a part of the uh, cold plunge crew, you know, everyone's doing their ice baths and all that kind of stuff. But there's a, there's an interesting secret to that as well. Cause you get in there yeah. and your body wants to tense up because yeah. when you get out and you're cold and you shiver, shivering generates warmth, right? It, your body's doing that on purpose, but to be able to like really stay in there long enough and not like pull a muscle and hurt yourself, you have to mm-hmm. do the exact opposite. And it's yeah. just this pure relaxing and almost finding like a blissful, Oh, like that deep open exhale in that space. And, yes. you know, those types of practices have been huge for me. Um, yes. But even better than that, one of the themes of surrender in my life that has come up over and over and over again has been the fact that I've had to just tell, there's been so many times in my life where I've had to just tell someone the truth. Mm. And that gave me everything I needed. Right. And that, Mm -hmm. and that aligned everything in my life. And that was a million times more uncomfortable than an ice bath or, you know, even more uncomfortable than like a crazy psychedelic trip or something, you know, because people will do that to heal, which is great. You know, that's another path. That's awesome. I haven't done a lot of that. I think the lucid dreaming kind of has given me enough (laughs) of like a DMT sort of, uh, you know, taste in the you back of my there. mouth yeah exactly exactly it, it's tiring honestly sometimes i wake up I'm, I'm like sure. i didn't sleep last night i was you know saving uh saving a bunch of lives on some distant planet um <laughs> but but there's something so there's a built-in it's it, there's a built-in healing process i also love the term that all healing is social healing there's no such thing as personal healing yeah because anybody can be totally healed like in their bedroom on their yoga mat, you know, you know, with their, but if you're not stuff, bringing yeah. it into the marketplace, then, yeah. then what kind of impact does it have? Or how real is it? I want to go back to telling the truth. I yeah. smiled because I, I lit, I literally wrote an entire chapter called truth telling, um, you know, <laughs> every single part of us that avoids or wants to resist telling the absolute truth about who we are and what we feel and what we need and what we're experiencing is us trying to control how the world responds to us yep. or how others respond to us, which comes from a space of, of, of lack, which comes from a place yep. of fear. 
And you're creating a world. You're like creating another world that doesn't exist. A whole world. Exactly. You're creating a whole world based on micromanagement of how the how you want the world to perceive you based on on what you think or what you have believed is acceptable yeah. which of course is is a is an illusionary world yeah. which which is, becomes life what what many will call life that's our life mm-hmm. um including myself you know i write about it in the book uh, my my husband and i after 9 years of marriage went we separated because we had the same fight over and over again for nine years. doesn't matter the different details, the same dynamic just kept kicking off. And we separated for six months, uh, really on the verge of divorce, just about to divorce. And we had this massive breakthrough moment where we sat together and we finally just told each other the truth that we no longer were trying to hold on to this picture that is called marriage. It had already gone. We'd already let it go. We no longer had to hold on to this picture of trying to be somebody for the other because that had already gone with the marriage Mm -hmm. and the expectations with it. And somehow that freed us up to simply just tell the truth. And I was able to say all the things that I never thought I was allowed to say mm-hmm. about yeah. being a woman and being a mother and being a wife and being anything in the world that, you know, I, ma- conventional marriage isn't for me. Uh, I, I don't want to be a full-time mother. Uh, all the things that, a million billion things that were inside of me that I felt I couldn't say. And he did the same. And it was absolutely the breakthrough moment for us that, Finally, all the shackles of control of having to be somebody for the other in order to get love or to fit marriage or to make this story of marriage work just was released. And it it opened up a pathway for a whole nother level of freedom and love mm-hmm. that I didn't even know was available. And it just... I just, I speak about it so often, like how, how much do we suppress the truth, even from ourselves? Yeah. You know? Yeah. We lie to Mm ourselves constantly and create these little worlds and these little pockets of, you know, like just to, but, but also again, just because we don't feel so much in my life around this change when I realized, and again, I had, so part of the synchronicity of losing my mother, both of my mothers, um, was, is all the incredible women who have just been placed into my life, just been this perfectly, of course, I avoided all of them for <laughs> a lot of the time. Cause I had, I, I genuinely, I was such a prude in high school. Cause I thought, you know, I didn't think that, but there was this like, Oh, if I, if a woman gets close to me, she's going to die or give me away. Cause those are the two, you know, prime examples that of I had. Course. Um, but I, I had this partner who helped me realize the only thing I'm actually afraid of is how uncomfortable I feel in my body. Yeah. And that that's it. And sure. And there's nuance to that and different things to genuinely be afraid of. That's probably a healthy, healthy fears to have. And for the personal development, you know, uh, uh, crew and this incredible community that we're a part of and ultimately every human being who's just trying to like, get by and be happy and be healthy and do all this stuff. It's, it's this interesting 
like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to lie to this person right now because not because of what they're going to do if I tell the truth, but because of how I will not be able to hold myself in response to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because everyone who's listening has had plenty of times where the truth comes out. And for whatever reason you can hold, like you've had those moments where there's enough, something's robust enough and you're just able to do that. I always love reminding people too. It's like the best time to get bad news is after a great night's sleep, some, you know, some good morning sex, a good workout, some good food, uh, you take a nice shower and boom, like let, get, bring it to me. Right. Which is where a lot of my work, it's like, well, why aren't we always living in a way to be available to, right. And not so that we are denying the negativity or the intensity or that, but so we can actually be there. Right. It's like, I want to, yeah. if I'm going to get upset about something, I want like the fullest version of me to meet that upset. So I can actually be upset instead yeah. of kind of be this safe version of upset or a safe, Oh, like, Oh, that's really, I'm sad. Great. Well, I'll cry for like a minute because uh, and then I got to get back to work. Right. It's not safe for me to like spend the rest of the day grieving this or mourning this, but even that is yeah. also a bunch of BS. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really enjoy speaking with you. This has yeah, been this a really great. wonderful conversation and I feel like we could just go on and uh, for us, there's so much that we could dive into, but I just, I really, really want to thank you for saying yes. I, I, I'm a relative stranger in your world <laughs> that just DM'd you out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thank you for saying yes and for bringing yourself here and sharing yourself. It's, it's been really fulfilling for me to sit with you and to listen and to be in dialogue. And I know that for the listeners, it would really gifted a lot of wisdom. So thank you so awesome. much for your time. Thanks for I having ask me. You thanks, one for, thanks for holding such a great <laughs> container too. It's, you're just a great listener, great questions. We ha I think we've had a, we had a little delay with the internet lag. So I might've talked over you a couple of times, but um, no. this has been wonderful. Oh, I, I actually think, it, I think that's going to be fine. It'll work itself out. But I have one more question for you. Great. And it's, you know, it, with where we are in the world right now, and there is a lot going on. And like you said at the beginning, I, I too have a sense we really are just at the beginning. And the way that I see it, you know, when I zoom right out and I look at, you know, I, I, I'm a special, my work is specializing in ontology. So I, I work with the nature of human being and I really look mm -hmm. at us as a species and how what is occurring as a species. And I really see us at the beginning of a process of maturation. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an extremely uncomfortable um, yeah. and painful process. Um, and those, there are some who are in resistance and fighting, and then there are some who are surrendering and it's, it, it's, we're in that kind of beginning of the dance. Um, and really we don't know where it's gonna go. We don't know where this one is gonna go. But when mm -hmm. I ask you about where we are in the world right now, and you had one thing to say to people who are listening, what would that be? Hmm. You can trust it. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, then there's a really good chance you don't trust yourself because that's the dick. That's what dictates that. Mm -hmm. 
So continuing to really show up for yourself, really play into that sort of like holographic model of reality and be willing to check in where, where am I mandating myself? Where am I locking myself down? Where am I going to war with myself? Where am I, you know, sick? Where am I unhealthy? Where am I, you know, allowing these, these types of things to, to go on. And that can be very uncomfortable, really tricky. Mm -hmm. I think humanity is probably about 25 years old right now. Like we're, we're, we just hit that. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm just like my mom. Like we were saying, right. Or I'm not right. And we're, we're, it's that first real tangible sense of coming to terms with how this is what the setup actually is. So in the same way that we can trust that all of these things from our childhood, all of this pain, all of these problems, all these traumas are assets and our gifts and, and have a built in purpose what we're experiencing right now works exactly the same way. And it's our job to go prove that to ourselves. go make sure of it. Yes. And like you said, at the very beginning, when a tree needs to fall, it's not worried about what it lands on and to trust that. And as is any process of aliveness, things need to fall. Things need to crumble. Things need to break. Things need to dissolve. Things need to die. And we can trust that inherently, that deeper process. You know, I, if we don't make it and the species become extinct, I have no question of doubt that creation and life will continue to regenerate. Oh, yeah. We'd, we'd be some ways. What a great compost pile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that absolute universal intelligence is, is, so immensely powerful. Yeah. Um, that's really what gives me peace every day. <laughs> Good. And, into that. And just to add to that, I'm a hundred percent certain that we will make it. So just yeah. to add that into the pile as well, like there's zero, I have zero concern because mm. that's how trust works. <laughs> right. And yeah. there's, and there's also something about specifically what we're going through right now and what it's bringing up in us and everyone's connection to like, what do I actually care about? What's actually important to me? And that force is what will take care of everything. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. What a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. This was so great.